We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. We're so happy to be spending some time with you here today on Empower Radio. I'm curious. Do you have a relationship with your dreams? Studies indicate we all dream, but some people seem to remember them more than others. And if you are one who remembers your dreams, do you give them much validity? I know I do. Several years ago, I was on vacation with a girlfriend, and I told her I had a dream about my future husband, that he had dark brown hair, blue eyes, and a very sweet heart. I also told her I felt he was very close. Indeed, he was. I met him the following week. I sometimes experience premonitory dreams. I have lucid dreams and the occasional out-of-body experience. I've also had the incredible opportunity to hang out with friends and family that have transitioned. Am I really spending time with them? I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that I am deeply grateful for those dreams and feel they are a profound gift from another dimension. Sometimes my clients share their dreams with me, and when we work with them, they consistently experience powerful revelations. I believe there's immense healing opportunities available to us by paying attention to them and working with our dreams. You can sleep through your dreams or you can wake up with them. I love this quote from Carl Jung. The dream is a little hidden door in the innermost and most secret recess of the soul. And what is more important than aligning with and cultivating a relationship with your own soul. Today, I'm going to be talking to someone who is an expert in the arena of dreams and soul work, and I know we are in for some fascinating, important, and empowering information. Robert Moss is a historian, journalist, and the creator of Active Dreaming, an original method for working with dreams. Robert is also an author and has written numerous best-selling books. Many of them include the subject of dreaming, shamanism, and imagination. His fascination with the dream world began in his childhood in Australia when he had three near-death experiences and first learned the power of dreaming through his friendships with the Aborigines. Today, we're going to be discussing his latest book, Dreaming the Soul Back Home, Shamanic Dreaming for Healing and becoming whole. Robert Moss, thank you for being with us here on Journey to Center today. So good to be dreaming with you, Tammy. Oh, there's nothing better from my perspective. Love, love, love dreaming. So Robert, let's just begin with the basics here. Why do we dream? Well, I think we dream to discover who we are, actually. Dreaming takes us beyond the ordinary mind and our consensual daily attitudes and consensual hallucinations into a deeper place. Yes, there are little dreams and big dreams, and there are dreams to comment on how you fed yourself last night, there are dreams that are routine processing and so on, but dreaming is one of our everyday, every night ways of getting beyond the obvious into a deeper order of reality and of beginning to remember the story of who we really are and why we are here. I think it's, that, it's as important as that. Dreams and dreaming are our easiest way to have direct access to the sacred, the sacred depth of life, to the larger self, to the god or goddess we can talk to. They're also a survival mechanism. In dreams, any night, you can notice this for yourself if you pay attention. We are scouting ahead of where we are, as if the dream self goes ahead of us on the roads of life. 
scouting out challenges and opportunities lie, lie ahead. And when we learn to value those dreams, read them closely, and take appropriate action, we can make better choices. That kind of dreaming can even save your life. I know what I'm talking about because I know that I've been saved from probable death on the road in accidents on at least three occasions because I was able to receive specific dream messages, clarify them, and take appropriate action. So these are some of the modalities of dreaming. Just one more brief comment, thinking as a historian now as well as a dreamer. You know, when I look cross-culturally at the history of our kind on this planet, there are three dominant reasons why most societies have valued dreams and dreamers far beyond what is typical of in our society today. The first is that they've understood that dreams are a way of talking to the god or goddess we can talk to, a way of talking to spirit and these spirits, a way of communing with nature, a way of getting to a deeper source. Secondly, they've understood that dreams show us the future, and if we read the messages well, we might do better. And thirdly, most cultures have understood that dreaming is medicine in a few senses. Dreams show us symptoms before the body develops those symptoms or before the symptoms present themselves to a doctor, so dreams can help us stay well. Dreams give us imagery for self-healing, and dreams, above all, perhaps, show us the state of our soul, the state of our vital energy and where it's gone and how it can come back. Mm, I, I love everything you're saying, and I absolutely agree. I, too, have had dreams that have been for, forewarning, uh, and I did get in an accident after I had the dream, and I wish I would have just paid more attention because there is great information there for us. It's like our that's soul great, is great educational value mm -hmm. in, in an experience like that, isn't there, Tammy? We miss an advisory, and then we wake up to the fact that we don't want to go on missing those advisories. So we are now poised, as you probably are, to make better use of dreams that are showing us things of the future next time we recognize a dream of yeah. that kind. Absolutely. I, I had a dream recently uh, that I was in another car wreck and rear-ended. And boy, do I set my intentions when I get in the car and look around. And, and perhaps I've avoided it. I don't know. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> well, one of, the, one of the tricks that you learn, and you've probably learned this already because you seem to be quite an active dreamer, is if you think that you have dreamed a future incident, don't jump to the conclusion that the first thing that happens is the fulfillment of the dream. The, the dreams sometimes play out long after uh, the original dream experience. Uh, the event may, may come months or even years later. When we're talking about the big stuff, stuff that can save your life, stuff that can save your soul, stuff involving huge emotional changes, sometimes the dreams preview the event by a long distance in time. So we want to be patient about not jumping to the conclusion that the first event that resembles the dream is the one that, in which it is fully played out. We certainly have a different relationship with time in our dreams than we yes. do in our waking reality, for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, so, I think it's like this. When we go dreaming, we step out of linear time. We step out of the illusion that clock time, linear time, is the only kind of time there is. Physics tells us the same thing. Physics tells us that, 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 that our everyday experience of time, you and I looking at the clock to see where we're out in the show, is only one way of having a relationship with the time. As dreamers, we travel to the past or future. We do this without even recognizing what is happening. Then we begin to wake up and notice that in our sleep dreams, it's as if we went you know, a month into the future or five years or went back to a past life. And then we become conscious or active dreamers, Tammy, and we learn that we can do all of this intentionally. For me, dreaming isn't fundamentally about what happens during sleep. It's fundamentally about waking up. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, we can create a more conscious relationship with our dreams if we want to wake up um, more quickly. And that is absolutely my intention. So, Robert, I would like for you to talk a little bit about incubating a dream. Maybe somebody's listening and they don't know what that means or how they can work with their dreams in a more uh, conscious, proactive way. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, dream incubation is the old and perhaps difficult word for, for something which is basically very simple. You are going to ask your dreams. You're going to ask your night dreams for guidance or for a certain kind of experience. You can do this simply for fun. You know, you could say on approaching sleep, I'd like to go to, 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 to Tahiti tonight and meet my dream lover and not pay for the plane ticket. You could make that <laughs> your intention to have an adventure overnight. Or you could say, I would like guidance on finding a new job. Or you could say, I open myself to the power of healing. Or you could say, show me what I need to see. That's one of my favorite intentions yeah. for dreaming. Show me what I need to see. Because as I approach the night, I'm aware that I'm approaching a source that is wiser than my everyday mind, and I don't want to confine that source with my ego agendas. I want to let myself be shown things that go beyond what I know to be important. Now, whether you're new to this or whether you've been doing it for decades, if you're going to incubate a dream, if you're going to ask for a dream on a certain subject or a dream that is a certain kind of experience, you want to be ready to receive. You want to be ready to catch whatever you can when you rise from your dream. It's good if you don't have to rise too abruptly. It's good if you don't have to wake to, wake to an alarm clock. It's good if you can laze or languor in bed for a while as you begin to surface from the dream and hold on to details that are streaming through your mind. But however you wake from the night... You want to be ready to record something. You want to have pen and paper or a voice-activated recorder, if you like that kind of thing, and get something down. And if, you're, and if you've been going through a dream drought and haven't had much dream material for a while, which is typical of many people in our society, then you want to be gentle with yourself. And if you don't remember a dream as it seems to begin with, don't you know, shrug it off and say, well, I flunked out. I don't have anything. Write something down anyway. Your first thoughts your first feelings, whatever's streaming through your mind, maybe the legacy of your dream, maybe the hangover from your dream. And when you record something, you're saying to your dream producers, I am here, I am yeah. present, I'm ready to play. Come play with me again. I absolutely love that. I know Carl Jung says that paying attention to the subconscious or our dreams pays them a compliment and they respond in kind. So I know the more I pay attention to them and write them down, the more I get good value from them. So yeah, Robert, I, like, I, I like Jung's idea of paying our dream source, our yes. dream producer, the compliment. And that extends to remembering to do something with your dreams. We can talk about this later if you like. Getting active with your dreams, not leaving them hanging loose from the rest of your life, but taking action to embody the creative and healing power of dreams. Yes, I like that very much. I read about that in your book, and I think there, there has to be immense value and revelations available to us through your, your um, imagination and active dreaming process. But first of all, I have a question for you. I have a, a, a listener, Mary Jo, Mary Jolani, who's very, very curious. She's lost a lot of people in her life, and she wanted to know, when we're dreaming of our family that has departed, are we really spending time with them, and how can we tell? Well, you'll learn to tell in two ways. You'll learn to tell through the truth of your feelings by considering your feelings around this, and you'll learn to, to tell by doing some verification and checking to see whether there are clues from the dream or from the encounter that can be checked out and that do check out. For example, you might get some information from someone who is on the other side in a dream or in a waking encounter for that matter, and you might be able to check it out and see if it's for real. Most of our dream encounters with the deceased are, I believe, transpersonal, absolutely real encounters with the deceased. There's nothing exotic, weird, or even supernatural about this. I have no theology about dreaming, but I know this for certain sure, Tammy. If you become an active dreamer, you will cease to have any doubt that soul or consciousness survives death. I mean, you'll just be familiar with this. You'll cease to have any doubt 
that people are alive without their physical bodies on the other side and are not necessarily very far from us. And the reason why encounters with the departed, especially in dreams, are not unusual uh, are threefold. First of all, they may still be around. They may simply not have moved on. They may not be aware that they're dead and might need clarity and guidance from the living. Secondly, they come visiting. Our deceased come visiting for all the reasons we visit each other and then some. They come to bring us information. <laughs> they come to get an update on the family. They come for closure, forgiveness, healing. or They come to hang out, all of that. And finally, for now, I mean, we go traveling in dreams. Dreaming is traveling. Interesting dreams are travels. We, we go beyond the body. We go beyond the, the physical reality of this world. And one of the places we travel quite a lot is into realms where the deceased are at home. So we go into their territory. And by the way, this is the root of and source, continuing source of human belief in a soul that survives death. That belief comes primarily not from teachings from churches, uh, which reflect human experience, but from the experience itself of traveling in dreams into realms where the deceased are at home and in receiving visitations from the departed. Mm. I love everything you're saying. I do. I feel like it's like sometimes changing a frequency, like being on the radio and you're going from one station to another as we fall asleep and dream. And I think the departed are often on that frequency. We can make contact. So everything you're saying really resonates for me. I have truth bumps. Love it. So, Robert, I dream of animals a lot. I was having an affair with a lion the other day, and I told my <laughs> husband about it. He's like, you're weird. <laughs> what the heck does it mean when we dream about animals? <laughs> Well, ask the animal. Stay with the animal and find out from the animal itself. Uh -huh. I mean, our power comes hunting us in dreams. And one of the ways that the powers of the deeper life come looking for us is in the form of animals, which from a shamanic point of view, maybe our animal spirits, our animal guardians, our power animals, our totem animals. These words are not exactly synonyms, but they refer to an aspect of the animal that is more than the New Age decal or something you look up in a book. I mean, if you are close to the lion, if you're becoming intimate with the lion in your dream, perhaps you're being invited in a quite primal and shamanic way to claim a closer acquaintance with the lion. And for you, Tammy, the lion would be an interesting ally because one of the great gifts of the lion is the voice. When the lion speaks, everybody pays attention. Now, here you are on your radio show claiming the power of your voice. So you're already you know, a bit of a lion or a lioness, you see. So to claim more of the connection with the lion might be very interesting indeed. I find that one of the quickest ways to raise people's vital energy and to put them in touch with the natural path of their energies in life is to hook them up with the animals, the, the animal spirits, the animal connections that may have been lacking. And in dreams, these present themselves. As I say, one of the truths of dreaming is that the powers of the deeper world are hunting for us. They come looking for us. They put on different guises and disguises. But when you're talking about the dream animals, you're talking about a very primal and essential form of power. So don't shrug off the animal in your dream and don't think that you'll understand it by looking up in a book of symbols. You want to study the nature of that animal, its behavior, its diet, its mating habits, its social habits in nature. You want to track it through folklore and mythology. And if you feel that this is a solid connection, you want to feed and honor that animal in your body in the way that you eat, the way you move, the way you use your night vision, perhaps the way you use your voice, all of that. Oh, I love this. And my intention was to learn from you. And this is just some really incredible information. And I'm, I'm a vegetarian, but I will <laughs> consider other Good things. Good luck with that if you've got the lion. <laughs>
<laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, if you think that about it, this, if you think about it this way, I mean, you can be a vegetarian for your human self, but you might take a break once a week to feed the lion in you. I'm not pushing you to change your, vi- your diet, but I do notice that vegetarians have great difficulty in sustaining a shamanic relationship with the big cats or the wolf or anything like that. Just as somebody who eats hamburgers and steaks all the time might have a hard time sustaining his relationship with the deer or the horse. Fascinating. Wow, this is some really good stuff. Well, something else I know you talk about, Robert, that I give great credence to, but I want to hear more from you, is synchronicity, the power of synchronicity. So can you talk a little bit about how we can use synchronicity to support us in uh, living a more soulful life? Well, I, I live every day by synchronicity, by observing meaningful coincidence. Mr. Jung invented the word synchronicity because he was fed up with people uh, getting tongue-tied in talking about coincidences that mean something, <laughs> and it sounds respectable, so I'm happy to use it. I mean, my, my days are like this. I, part of it is pattern recognition. Notice what rhymes in a day. Notice how a certain symbol or theme comes up again and again and again. That's very interesting. The first unusual or striking thing I see when I surface from my house in the day, or even what comes in via the internet, will be a message for me on the quality of the day. It might be the vanity plate on the car. It might be the behavior of a bird or animal around the neighborhood. It might be a snatch of conversation heard in the street. The Chinese say there are things that like to happen together, and it is by observing things that are surfacing, coming into perception at the same time, we often get clues to a deeper logic of life than is ordinarily available. Sometimes you feel there's a hidden hand involved. Jung called synchronicity, quote, an a-causal connecting principle, meaning that you can't see a push-pull effect. You're thinking about something, for example, and then something comes up in the street right in front of you, reflecting exactly what you're thinking about in a way that is incredibly important and specific to you, but there's no causation that you can track. There's no direct connection unless you begin to think about how mind and matter interweave. So synchronicity is when the university gets personal. It's when you have the experience of something that is in your mind or your heart or your feelings being reflected back at you, maybe expanded in a certain way in the, by events and symbolic pop-ups in the world around you. And it is by tracking this kind of thing that we get tremendous sources of guidance and bring fun and magic into the day. Tracking synchronicity is the dreamer's way of dreaming 24-7 because the world is speaking to us in a language similar to the language of dream symbols. If we will just drop our our, our everyday narrow-mindedness about it and pay attention. We need to take dreams more literally and the events of waking life more symbolically. So this is about living a more symbolic and poetic life. Mm. I find as I meditate and pay more attention to my dreams, uh, there is great synchronicity and coincidence, and I feel like it is a cosmic love affair with all of the universe, and it is so much more than just finding uh, that date or that relationship outside of ourselves. It's a relationship with that something greater, and I think whether we know it or not, that's what we all want. I think you put it very well. It, it, we can get incredibly specific messages and they can be incredibly helpful and they can be part of our survival mechanism. And we can look to the play of coincidence for absolutely specific signs and signals. But it's about much more than that. As you say, it's about a relationship with life, with, with the animate conscious universe around us. It's, it's about beginning to recognize, for example, that thoughts are things and whatever thoughts and emotions you're putting out will attract or repel different events and different people. That, that's part of it. It's about noticing a different kind of logic to life. For example, one of my personal rules for navigating by synchronicity is this. 
for every setback, look for the opportunity. Or, you know, for every door that is closing, look for the one that is opening. Now, that's something hard to do when you've lost your job or your, your partner's walked out on you or something really bad has happened. But I have noticed that when we're willing to play the game of looking for the opportunity that lies beyond the setback, we do much, much better. So synchronicity is also a sort of proactive way of choosing the kind of life we're going to live. Uh, and uh, uh, I formulated some rules for all of this. Actually, another of my books called The Three Only Things, the subtitle is Tapping the Power of Dreams, Coincidence, and Imagination, has many, many games for playing with coincidence or synchronicity on a daily basis and also discusses the whole history and origin of the concept before and after Mr. Jung. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. That's right up my alley. And then, well, while you're checking books out, there's a chapter in my book, The Secret History of Dreaming, about Jung and Wolfgang Pauli, the quantum physicist who, who became a poster boy for one aspect of synchronicity, which is how your feelings, your emotions generate physical events. He was a massive, Pauli, the quantum physicist, was a massive roiling emotions. Wherever he went, things blew up. I mean, we know about people <laughs> who say they blow up with light bulbs or crash computers. Pauli used to, used to blow up huge cyclotrons and physical, physics experiments things like that. So I've made quite a study of this, but more important, the study perhaps is, is, is the pattern of daily life. And one of the things I like best about Jung is not his theory of synchronicity, but his practice. When he was consulting with a client by the lake, for example, he would pay attention to the movement of water on the lake. He'd pay attention to the appearance of a fox on a woodland path just behind the house. He'd pay attention to the strange appearance of a dead fish on a sea wall. And he would get messages from all of those things absolutely central to his practice. Mm. Well, it sounds like he was really lined up with his soul and his wattage was just off the charts. Powerful. Well, mm. if you want to know what a dream shaman of the West would be like, uh, you look at Mr. Jung. There's a section about him in the new book, Dreaming the Soul. Back. I'm, I'm a great friend of Jung. I read all of his collective works that had been published when I was in high school, and I've stayed in <laughs> touch with him ever since, and I dream of him. But I'm not a Jungian. I'm not a Freudian. I'm not a Jungian. Right. I'm not even a Mossian. This is an original approach. Yes. I get that. So you have the unusual title of shaman. Can you tell me what that is and well, how, how want, does that happen? If you want to hang <laughs> it on me, you can say I've got that title, but I don't get around calling myself a shaman. I call myself a shamanic teacher or a shamanic dream teacher. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about people who run around calling themselves shamans. I don't mind if other people call me a shaman. Let's talk briefly about what the shaman is uh, yes. because there's a lot of confusion about it. For me, the shaman is first and last a dreamer. As a matter of fact, when you look at Native American languages, and I had to learn the Mohawk language because of my dreams, you'll find that the most common word for the shaman in Native American languages means one who dreams, dreamer. So in Mohawk, it's radzedzot, dreamer, one who dreams. And what this is saying is that the shaman has the gift, the ability, the skill of being able to travel into non-ordinary orders of reality and do useful things there and come back. In other words, the dreamer, the shaman is a kind of dream traveler who can dream uh, wide awake and conscious or lucid, can embark on adventures, go to realms beyond death, go to places where the soul has been lost and bring parts of it back, uh, do these things. How does a shaman develop those skills and gifts? Well, often the shaman's been through an ordeal of initiation, which might have involved illness, might have involved what today we call a near-death experience. I went through that, of course. And the real shaman, by my observation, is someone who walks very close to death, regards death as an ally, knows from first-hand experience what goes on beyond physical death, 
and operates from that perspective. The shaman as healer is a poet, a dramatist, and a storyteller. The, the shaman has the gift of shape-shifting the behavior of the body and the experience of the world by telling better stories about the world and the body. Jung understood this very well. Once again, Jung is, for me, the model of a shaman of the West because a true shaman in his or her society is, is not some primitive character. The shaman's vocabulary in indigenous society is sometimes 10 times as great as that of the average person. And he or she is a scholar or scientist within their own culture, up to speed on all that that culture knows. So I'm giving a somewhat perhaps romantic, idealized depiction of the shaman now because I think that these are the aspects of shamanism that I want to see us bring into our health, into our healing, into our society today. The understanding that we can travel in dreaming and do good things, the understanding that death can be our ally, not our terror, the understanding that we can change the behavior of the body in the world by telling better stories about it and developing poetic consciousness. So these are the things for me that are interesting about the shaman as a type. Very interesting. And you speak with great wisdom, knowledge, and authority because you did indeed have three near-death experiences. Well, I didn't have that phrase when I was a kid in Australia, and it's still not my preferred phrase for what happened to me. My preferred phrase for what happened to me is what a doctor said when I was three years old. He said, oh, the boy died and he came back, didn't he? So I'm a boy who died and came back. It happened for the mm. first time at age three. That transformed my life. I don't remember a great deal about the experience. I remember how brutally it changed my life. I was basically in sick rooms for the next eight years. I remember in great detail what happened when I was nine years old, and I started writing about it. I seemed to live a whole life somewhere else after dying, losing vital signs in an operating theater during an emergency appendectomy. I seemed to live a whole life somewhere else and came back remembering now, that was a very difficult situation to be in, Tammy, growing up in a conservative era in a military family where it mm. wasn't really okay to talk about this stuff. One of the first people I met who could confirm and validate my experience was an Aboriginal kid who said very matter-of-factly, I mean, no awe, no reverence, he just said matter-of-factly, oh, yeah, we do that. We get sick, we go somewhere else until we get well, and then we come back. So that was That's part of my childhood. Fascinating. Well, you do walk between worlds, and I'm so honored to be having this conversation with you and hanging out with our listeners here. So we're going to go to break, and we come back. Robert's going to talk about soul loss, and there's five different forms of soul loss, and how we can call all parts of ourselves back home for a more fulfilling, happy, healthy, and vibrant life. So hang on. We'll be right back with Robert Moss. Hi, Dad. Hey, sweetheart. Where's the little guy? In school? Yep, just dropped him off. Is your hair getting whiter, or is that paint? Actually, I'm painting your old room. Did you take down my David Cassidy posters? Nah, I painted over them. Dad! Just kidding. Why were you painting my old room? You had a purple room. Moby Grape. Well, your mom and I are upsizing. We're hosting a foreign exchange student from Cairo. What about me and your grandson? Come on, it'll be a great experience for everybody. We'll never see you. You'll be taking her to the museum and the zoo and... Sweetheart, you know how great it'll be for my grandson to experience another culture. He could learn another language, new customs. I never thought of that. Got an extra paintbrush? <laughs> the time is now. Open up your life. Find out how to have a foreign exchange student live with you. Every family has something special to share. Go to hoststudents.org. That's hoststudents.org. Imagine my grandson speaking Arabic. 
Wild animals face many risks at the hands of humans, but the pervasive and unprecedented destruction of their habitat threatens their very existence. More than 30% of the world's mammals and birds are considered threatened with extinction. We're in the midst of the first great mass extinction to be caused by humans. The only humane solution is land conservation and connecting fragmented wildlife habitats. For more than a decade, the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust has worked with private landowners to protect wildlife by preserving natural habitats and establishing permanent sanctuaries. Creating shelters without walls, the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust takes a unique stand in the National Land Trust community by prohibiting recreational and commercial hunting and trapping on our properties. Those who care deeply about animals must work together to ensure that wildlife will always have the wild places they need to survive and thrive. Call 1-800-729-SAVE. That's 1-800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Welcome to the Maya Miguel Challenge. Meet Maya and the gang. Oh, hi, I'm Maya. Maya and her friends want you to get up and play because it's always more fun to be active. There's mountain biking, boating and fishing, mountain climbing and spelunking. <laughs> Let's get started. Get ready to take the Maya and Miguel Challenge. Let's see. Just go to letsmove.gov and look for Maya and Miguel. You'll find tons of fun activities that'll help keep you healthy and active. Muy activo. You can also check out healthy recipes to try with your family, play cool games, and get free downloads. So come hang out with Maya, Miguel, and the whole gang. Go! Remember, whether you play sports, run, dance, or jump in place, just get up and play at least an hour a day. And don't forget, eat healthy to be your best. Maya and Miguel will show you how at letsmove.gov. That's letsmove.gov. A message from the Ag Council and the Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friends. Thanks for hanging out with us on Journey to Center. We are hanging out with wise man, Robert Moss. I hope you have a pen and paper. I know I do. There's some good stuff happening here. And I know this is one of the podcasts I'm going to be listening to a lot. So, Robert, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm enjoying myself, Tammy. This is the fastest my show has ever gone from my perspective. <laughs> I, and I'm trying to slow my, my, my delivery down. <laughs> oh, no, you're beautiful. I'm comprehending everything you're saying. I'm a little dizzy, but I understand you, and I'm loving the material. There's many layers here. So this is, this is like heaven on earth to me. This is fantastic. First time I, the first time I told at the Esalen Institute, somebody said, you're a New Yorker. I said, is it my accent? Can it really be my accent? No, it's not your accent. It's your speed. Yes, you are in overdrive. I love this. You're getting a lot of, no, lot no, of information is, this is, here. This isn't even cruise speed to me. <laughs> I love it. You just stay just, just in the gear that you're in because there's a lot more stuff I want to address with you. And at this rate, we might get to it. <laughs> so, Robert, I want to know what you would call soul loss. How would you explain that? Well, in, in the new book, which you've kindly mentioned, Dreaming the Soul Back Home, which is all about soul loss and soul recovery, I, I discuss five ways in which we have lost vital energy or essential connections to the realms of soul and spirit. And perhaps I could summarize those, those five sources of those five, those five characteristic forms of loss of vital energy and soul connection. The first is quite simply that we are low in energy. We have lost our, our vital life juice, our vital spark. 
Uh, the second is that we may have lost connection with younger versions of ourselves. You know, we've all heard about the inner child. From a shaman's point of view, we may not exactly be talking about the loss of the connection with the inner child. The child may have left the body through pain, trauma, abuse, or something else, may not even be in the person's body and energy field. So we may have lost our child self, our child of wonder. When I see people who are low on dreaming, low on imagination, I sometimes think, that is because you've lost the child part of you that is the dreamer. Children are masters of dreaming and imagination. Listen to young children, and you'll hear stories that are thrilling about the nature of the dream world and about making things up. But a lot of adults don't have that because they have lost or suppressed that child self. And sometimes we've lost older versions of ourselves, that romantic teen who was shamed or abused, that, that part of ourselves was disappointed in, in early life or in midlife and went away. So there's this whole question of, of having lost contact with vital parts of our identity and energy that went away when the world seemed too cruel. And frankly, I've never seen a human being that has not suffered that kind of soul loss, the loss of a part of oneself that went away when times were tough. Then thirdly, there's the question of the loss of connection with our animal spirits. Indigenous peoples maintain that we all have natural kinship with the animals and with, with elemental powers and nature, and if we are not conscious of that relationship, we live badly, we live disconnected from nature, and we are not fully alive, not fully human. So there's a whole question of whether we are connected or disconnected from the spirits of nature, and particularly the animal spirits. Then there's the question of our relations with the ancestors. I put it like this, whether you want to think about it or not, your ancestors are looking for you, and I mean the ancestors of your bloodlines, the ancestors of the land where you live, and maybe the ancestors of your spiritual kin across many cultures. If you are not conscious of the ancestral connection, you are prone probably to repeating patterns of abuse, prejudice, addiction, and other multi-generational situations that we see again and again and again. So we need to wake up to the ancestral connection, first of all, to clear the bad stuff, the stuff that binds us, and then secondly, to reach for a positive, life-affirming, life-enhancing relationship with the wise ancestors who can help us recover cultural and spiritual traditions we need to know about. And finally, this is the fifth aspect of soul connection or soul disconnection. We need a working connection with a greater self, with a higher self, with the self with a great big capital S that Jung talked about, with a God, goddess we can talk to. We need that working connection. If we don't have it, we are probably ignorant of the fundamental source and purpose of the present life. So, so, so soul, soul, soul connecting, soul growing, soul recovery, soul healing involves rising to a conscious connection with the self on a higher level reviewing all our life situations from its standpoint and bringing its light and its wisdom into every aspect of our life. So I talked about a bit more than soul loss. I talked about soul connection and I talked about what we want to claim and reaffirm as our larger identity and the power that is waiting for us. Mm. How do we know if our soul is at home within us or if there are opportunities to call more of ourselves back home? Well, one of the ways that we know that soul is not with us is we've lost our relationship with dreaming. I mean, this is, mm. this is possibly the number one symptom of soul loss. So it's ironic that I've written a book called Dreaming the Soul Back Home, when possibly the number one symptom of major soul loss is you no longer have any connection, any working connection with your dreams. I provide ways in the book for, for restoring that connection. I show how, for example, 
the last dream you remembered, which might be from your childhood, or a memory from early in your life, can be used as the portal for a journey for soul healing. But I would say that a, a long-standing dream drought, and some people claim never to remember a dream or not to have remembered one for 30 years, that is one of the prime symptoms of serious soul loss. Native mm. peoples, indigenous people say, if you don't remember your dreams because you're partly soul gone, you're becoming one of the hollow people. There are lots of other symptoms. I mean, low energy, chronic fatigue, depression, addiction, 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 stuffing yourself with things in order to try and feel, fill that void inside mm -hmm. you, emotional numbness, inability to feel things strongly, a tendency to zone out, to numb out, to not want to feel anything too deeply. I mean, these, these are some of the many uh, 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 symptoms of soul loss, and I, I've got a whole, you know, itemization of them in the book. I would say that if you read that part of the book and you find that you are suffering six of those symptoms, it's time for you to look for some, some major urgent soul repair. Yeah, something I have to say about your book, it's not a quick read. Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> no, it depends it's kind of like this it. interview. I want to spend time. I want to sit. I want to think about yeah. that. I want to really get this on a deeper level. There's um, not a lot of air between the particles, let's put it that way. I like good writing. <laughs> I like deep writing. I don't like these New Age books which have all this air between the particles, like Wonder Bread. So there's a lot going on there. And any, yeah. any one of the stories is a whole teaching, isn't it? I mean, there are amazing stories here to inspire you and juice you. I mean, just take one of those stories of ancestral healing or one of those stories of reaching back into a dream from 30 years ago, going back inside that dream and reclaiming your child self. And yes, mm -hmm. you, could, you could sit down, you could lie down, you could go and do something else for a good long time and let a story like that marinate inside you. Yes, yes. And that's what, yeah, there's not a lot of fluff. It's uh, so much information, so much deep uh, I think, nutrition for our soul. Um, Robert, if it's okay with you, I'd like to read uh, a beautiful paragraph uh, in your book, Dreaming the Soul Back Home. Great. In chapter 15, it's called Follow Your Own Merlin. I love that. It's not just about keeping soul in the body and remembering that we are starborn and that our stories are played out and are playing out in more than one time. It's about growing soul, becoming more than we ever were before, embodying more of the greater self. It requires the willingness to take the creator's leap and bring something new into our lives and our worlds. That's some good stuff. Yeah, well, we, we want to become poets of consciousness. I'm, I'm, I'm also a poet. My first, I haven't published all that much outside my own book. I'm about to publish my first collection of poetry early next year. We, we, we want to be romantics. In practice, we want to be mystics. And we want to do all of this in, in practical ways. I'm accused of being a mystic, but I'm a very practical mystic. It's about keeping body and soul together, finding the right pathways in life, and having more fun and playing better games, and above all, perhaps, telling better stories about who we are and what our life purpose might be. When strangers meet me on a plane and say, who are you, what do you do? I characteristically say something like this. I say, I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. And what I love to do with people is to help them remember the bigger and braver stories of their lives and to live those stories and to tell them really well. The Inuit of, of the North say that the spirits need to be entertained. If we don't entertain the spirits, they don't want to be around, they don't want to support us. 
and I would apply this to our own spirits, our own creative spirits. If we lead boring, programmed, compromising, wimping out kinds of lives, then our best creative spirits, our best creative allies are not available to us because we are too darn dull, that we're not enough fun. So a book like this, all of my writing and all of my teaching and all of my speaking, is a provocation for us to reach further, to find better words, to play better games, and to remake the world by telling a better story about it. Mm, the word that comes to mind as I'm listening to you is inspiration. Your book is very inspiring to me. That also is in spirit. And I don't think we came to planet Earth to live a dull life. You know, we said yes to this adventure for the purpose and reason of what you are discussing and describing, to have a soulful life, to have what? a big, bold life aligned with our spirit. Well, I, I'm with you on this, Tammy. One of the great luminous moments in my life was when an inner voice, that inner voice you learn to trust over the years that you know mm -hmm. will, will not lie to you. An inner voice said to me at a certain point, we're talking 20 or 25 years ago, Robert, remember this world is not your prison. It is your playground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've operated mm -hmm. that spirit ever since. I mean, some of the things that I consider to, to be play might look like hard work to other people, but it is the divine play. It's the lila. It's the, it's the divine play of life. I choose to look at everything that way and approach it all as a game within an infinite game. And I think we do better. I think we do our best work in that spirit of creative play. Well, you're, you're you know, uh, sharing a nugget of wisdom that comes from the Bible. In order to get to the kingdom of heaven, we need to be like little children. And yes. I do think it, it boils down to that, having fun. Get back on the playground. Enjoy yourself. So I would absolutely agree with you there. And something you brought up earlier, and I've thought about this a lot, working with clients that are struggling with addiction. I think we either run from ourselves or we run to ourselves. And an addiction is a way that we're trying to run away from our hurt, our pain. And to me, people that are struggling with addiction are also soul sick. So to me, it seems the answer is turning back around and choosing consciously to align more fully with one's soul. And I know dreaming is a really um, powerful and important way of doing that. You also have some other suggestions. Do you want to talk about those? Well, I've just, let me talk around what you're saying. Let me circumambulate, as Mr. Young, who you like, would say, <laughs> go round and round what you're Please. saying. One of the things that strikes me about all of this is I hear you talking about, and as I think about what it all amounts to, and let me note that Dreaming the Soul Back Home is my ninth nonfiction book in this vein. It started with Conscious Dreaming back in 1996. There are nine of them. There's not much overlap between them. I mean, anybody who finds one of these books is eventually likely to go and read quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. But when I think about what I bring through in these books and what I do in my workshops, and I teach 40 workshops of two days or longer every year, you know, all over the planet, go to my website, mousestreams.com for that. When I think about what I do, one thing that strikes me is this. It's, it's material, it involves material that is our birthright. It's our human birthright. It is accessible to all of us. You may not get really, really good as a dreamer in all the senses I use the word, unless you put in your 10,000 hours of practice. Remember, that's what is said to be a condition for excellence. You get in your 10,000 hours of practice. Dreaming is a discipline. It's a practice. You might need to get in your 10,000 hours, but for goodness sake, we all dream. Even the hard head who says, I don't dream, is just saying, I don't remember. I mean, the sleep laboratory people tell us the average human 
dreams in five cycles of dreams every night, cycles of dreams each containing more than one dream. Uh, very few people would remember all of those dreams ever, but we are all dreaming every night in the sense of sleep dreams. So that material is accessible. We may have been blocked to it for a while, but we can get unblocked. When we talk about playing with synchronicity and coincidence, these are things we can do. We can learn to look at the world around us as a set of dream symbols and signs. We can do that every day. In the book, I offer all sorts of other things. I offer all sorts of forms of meditation, visualization, uh, and cleanup stuff. I mean, the cleanup stuff, let's spend a moment on that, because when you have someone who's addicted, as you've no doubt noticed, or someone who has soul gone and has a hole in their energy field and maybe right in the vital part of themselves, one of the bad things that happen is that things come in, energies and entities that don't even belong to them. There are, mm -hmm. there are sometimes things traveling in their energy field you don't want to have around, including the heavy energies of dead people who are stuck on that living person because they want to get a drink or a smoke or something else through them. I mean, this is a practical problem. It's a practical energetic, energetic problem. And to become soul healed, to pursue our soul healing all the way, we need to clean up our act. We need to clean up our energy fields. We need to get liberated from the bad things that, that flock and, and cluster around us uh, when, when we are open and our energy fields are not properly in shape. So my book contains some very practical, commonsensical, no mumbo jumbo uh, exercises and techniques for spiritual clearing and releasing. This is terribly important stuff. And, and when we get to the category of ancestral healing, there's some really wonderful guidance here with some, some luminous stories of what people have done following these simple techniques to heal not only their own lives, but the lives of dead people in the family going back through the generations who needed healing mm -hmm. and forgiveness. So there's a lot more in this book than, than the word dreaming might mean to the average person uh, using that word in our culture. Mm. I think it's true. And I think, um, as Einstein has indicated, and you've mentioned, everything's happening now. There's no such thing as time. And I think when we take responsibility for our healing, take responsibility for aligning with our soul, we heal backwards, forwards, up, down, generationally, future generations. So I think saying yes to our soul is just the most important thing we can do in our lives and, and for our families and for the world. You brought up this question, thank you. You brought up this question of time in making that lovely remark, and I just want to unfold a little bit more about that in relation to soul healing. Here's one of the things we can do, and it's explained in the new book, and I lead it in my workshops, and the results are sometimes extraordinary. Once we wake up to the fact that we can be time travelers in consciousness, at least on a mental level, we can attempt the following. You can go back to a younger self at a time when she was alone, afraid, threatened, shamed, abused, mm -hmm. needed a mentor and a protector that she lacked. And you can, speaking inside her mind, provide her with the reassurance and the courage and encouragement that she needs in her own time. I mm -hmm. believe this to be literally true. Whatever you think about on a rational level, what have you got to do? What have you got to lose by trying it? By trying to put yourself back into the situation of a younger self who needs some help and guidance. Uh, and try to provide that help and guidance mind to mind across time. Mm -hmm. In order mm -hmm. to do it, you've got to avoid being swallowed up by the maybe the terrible emotions of that younger self. There are examples in the book of how to do that. There are also examples of how to connect with parallel selves. You know, physics tells us that we are probably living right now in one of al an almost infinite number of parallel universes. 
close to us as the universe in which you and I, Tammy, are not talking on the show because it never mm-hmm. took place. Further away is a universe in which you never became a radio host or I never mm-hmm. became a writer of books about dreams and shamanism, etc., etc. Suppose we could reach consciously to that parallel Tammy or that parallel Robert who made different choices, has incurred different karma, different life obligations that might have gifts and skills that would be interesting to tap into. Suppose we could tap into the experience of that parallel self and learn something from each other and maybe bring gifts and skills to or from each other. Suppose we could do that. What would that be like? Well, that's something I experiment with too. Then we come to the whole family of lives we might be part of, past lives, future lives, lives in other dimensions. Suppose we can become more conscious of those connections, not only in terms of learning from dramas played out in the past, maybe in another lifetime, something of the story, the deeper story and logic of our present life, but in order to communicate transtemporally across time with the self in another reality, in another time and place, where would that lead? These are questions explored in, the, in this book. They're also explored in yet another of my books called Dreamgates. And I think this is absolutely cutting-edge stuff. I think that this is scientific research in its own way, scientific in the sense that we are using the tools of exploration and verification that are appropriate to the field we're exploring. And I think that as we learn more about this, we are preparing ourselves to become full citizens of the multidimensional universe. And that's what I would mm. like to see us become. I love everything you're saying. And, and some of the stuff I'm familiar with, I do a lot of past life regression. I work with um, myself and my clients and recovering uh, their inner child when they've experienced trauma. I go to my future self and ask for wisdom or feedback or advice. I've never considered the parallel lives, though. I think that is fascinating. Never considered that. Well, mm. you know... The, the, Things come to us at a certain time for a certain reason. In a dream last weekend, I found myself lifted up to a sort of observation deck where, where the controllers, very benign controllers, were determining when humans down here should have access to certain past life memories, when it would be helpful and supportive to have those memories, when those memories could be used without that person being distracted or overwhelmed by them. So I think in a way, the universe provides the right timing. You know, There's a time for us to wake up to certain things. And yet beyond all that, as you and I both know well, the time is always now. Mm -hmm. It sure is. And something else I'm really getting, and I say this a lot, but I love the tools and the information you're sharing. We all have so much more power than we think. Yes. I think that, you know, there's two ways to live, victim or empowered. And I love everything you're sharing because I think it's ways that we can take back more authentic power and have more fulfilling lives, which is the whole reason I do this show. Yes, and you do it very well. And I'll add an indigenous thought from the indigenous people of of my native Australia. The Aborigines say the big stories are hunting the right people to tell them. The big stories are hunting the right people to tell them. I think that's true of our power. Our power, our larger self, is hunting us. I mean, I hear people who are you know, doing all this work and make, doing all this effort to get in touch with the higher self or their, their power, doing all these workshops. And I think, don't be so hard on yourself. You can always find your power. You can always find your greater self because it's actually looking for you. For you to think that you are hunting your power is like the mouse thinking it's hunting the cat. Just put yourself in a place where you can be found. One of the places where you can put yourself, where it's easier for your larger story, your greater power to find you, is in the space of dreams and in that space of synchronicity when the ordinary logic of life is ruptured and we begin to see the divine game. 
Oh, I love this. Yes, I think it is. It's about inviting it and being able to receive it more than chasing it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I just turned the corner on that that thought about uh, two or three months ago. It's like you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna chase anymore. I'm gonna relax and receive, and point my face towards the sun or my soul. And things are definitely shifting in a more uh, graceful and easy way. Things that are mine, I think, are coming to me now, which is a, so much more fun than having ambition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good corner to turn, Tammy. I, I love it. Yeah, it's it's life is a lot sweeter right now. So, Robert, do you think there's a difference between soul and spirit? Well, these are slippery words, and I'm pretty slippery mm. in the way that I use them in the book. <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Heraclitus, who knew a few things about this, said, to translate him loosely, I used to be a professor of ancient history, Heraclitus said, you know, you'll never find the boundaries of the soul, I mean, you, you, however far you travel, you never find its limits, you never find its borders. I use the word soul in Dreaming the Soul Back Home and in my practice and in my workshops, in a couple of senses. I use it to mean vital energy, vital essence, uh, that can be lost, that can be, you know, dissociated. I mean, I, I talk of soul as vital, vital essence, vital energy, but I also talk about it as something that can be fragmented, broken, stolen, or lost. So um, I talk about spirit in two senses. I talk about spirit as something that is immortal and cannot be lost or stolen as part of our connection to the divine, but I also talk about spirits, plural, uh, uh, spirits of the living and the dead as part of our identity that travels beyond the body, survives the death of the body, as do aspects of soul, uh, and, um, and can go traveling and can come visiting. So when I talk about the spirits, I might be talking about the spirits of the deceased, I might be talking about spirits of animals or of nature, I might be talking about our own spirits traveling outside the body and dreaming. When you referred to your own experience as a dreamer and you said you'd had a few OBEs in dreaming, I understand exactly what you said in the sense that you're talking about conscious OBEs, but I would say this, every night everybody has out-of-body experiences in their dreams, which yes. is why yes. I say the people who set out to practice astral projection, etc., ought to relax because you're doing it every night in your dreams. You're getting out oh, there, true. and if you just track where it's you're true. going in your dreams, you'll probably have a more natural way to approach this, you know, with your own doorways and your own invitations than you would That's otherwise. That's true. It's so much fun, though, when I remember I'm sleeping. What I do is I, I look up into the stars, and I see it's usually a circle of some sort, and I'm a mandala painter. I go up through the circle and dance in the stars, and it's just the most fun thing that I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you can imagine what my life is like, because half my life is spent on the road teaching, so I'm typically in a circle of people using shamanic drumming, and 30 or 40 of us might be traveling uh, on an itinerary like that, but, but, but probably beyond that, and having shared experiences out there and bringing back gifts. So we learn that dreaming, shamanic dreaming, shamanic traveling is not just an individual activity, and not just social in the sense that we meet other people. It can be social and shared and interactive in the sense that a whole bunch of us can fly together and have wide awake so superb uh, shared adventures together and bring back super abundant energy and creativity for life. Mm. So you bring up something really important that I want to address, Robert. How do people find out about these workshops? How do they get uh, in touch with you? Well, there's the website, Moss Dreams. That's my surname, M-O-S-S, Dreams, plural, one word, MossDreams.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Right now I'm looking at my author page, which is Robert Moss Dreams on Facebook. Links to my two blogs are there, and you'll find uh, some of the events. So those are two easy ways to find me. There are now, as I say, nine of my books on dreaming, imagination, and shamanism. Dreaming the Soul Back Home is the newest. But, so there's a lot going on. 
Yes, I'm going to find you on Facebook for sure. I love Facebook and um, I uh, will have our podcast available on Facebook so that people can come back and listen to this repeatedly, as I know I will. <laughs> Great. Well, well, we'll run that link too. I've, I've found both my personal page and my author page. Perfect. Well, Robert, this has been much more than I expected and I knew it was going to be wonderful, but you are just one of my new favorite humans. <laughs> oh, you're a woman of great taste and discernment. <laughs> You are so cute. You are a silver fox, that is for sure. <laughs> Looking at your picture, you are so cute. So you are wise and wonderful and generous with your thoughts and philosophies. And again, if you um, listeners want more of him, you can go to his website. Again, tell us what that is, Robert. Moss Dreams, M-O-S-S Dreams, plural, mossdreams.com. And for my listeners, if you have questions, if you have uh, something you would like to address, I would love to get in touch with you. You can get a hold of me on Facebook, Tammy Balashevsky. You can go to my website, TammyBPhD.com. And I would love to be in touch with you. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to be on the show, if you know someone that wants to be on the show, if, if you have uh, anything you want to share with me, if you need support, I would love to connect with you further. And Robert, this has just been it's just been a jewel. This has been one of my favorite conversations I've had in a very long time. Well, I enjoyed every minute too, Tammy. You're a dream host. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've never been called that. I like that. I think I'm going to put it on my business card. <laughs> dream host. Well, I would love to have you back anytime, Robert. Talk about some of your some of your books or anything else you want to discuss. You are just a wealth of wisdom, a true wise man, and uh, I've enjoyed you thoroughly. Well, here's my wish for you, Tammy. May your best dreams come true. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. So thank you, Brent Carey. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us today here on Empower Radio. I hope to connect with you again soon. Bye for now.